Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 345. Welcome back! Recorded January 12th, 2018, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, are your stalwart co-hosts, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Ossigeneer Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and we're back. Back. Back with a vengeance or something. The first show of 2018, the first show in five or six weeks for us. Uh we, uh, we took our customary December break off, uh, and then I had a commitment that didn't allow me to be here last week, and uh, we're actually recording a, a day early this week because I have another thing that my church people are expecting me to actually do stuff on Sundays now, and, and I'm not sure about that. Uh, but anyway, uh, good to be back. Uh, we have to keep it brief because the Cowboys are in a playoff game in about 45 minutes. And uh, while I'm not really caring much about the NFL in general, my Cowboys are in the playoffs. I have to go watch the game. Yeah. You know, and the great thing about it, you know, I don't think they'll be favored tonight and they probably won't be favored in any of the games the rest of the way out. But to me, the team's good enough that if they win, it's not like a super shocker. You know, I mean, they proved they could beat the Saints. So it's like, well, I wouldn't pick them to win, but if they won, I mean, I could see that happening. And so, yeah. you know, what more do you want out of your team in the playoffs? A realistic shot to win the game. Yeah, it's definitely not the early 90s when it was just assumed they would be hosting the fir- uh, the playoffs and getting a first-round bye. But, uh, you know, they were uh, a contender, at least. So, uh, it's a new year, and so there's there's two things that uh, that podcasts are required to do in a new year. Otherwise we actually lose our podcasting license. Uh, one is make predictions and two is talk about, uh, you know, resolutions or, or whatever. So we have to do that this show. Uh, it's a contractual mandate. Uh, so we'll be talking about what, what, what we think are going on, but <clears throat> I just wanted to say, I've probably given this speech before, uh, but I don't, uh, I don't make resolutions. Resolutions are things like be more mindful be healthier, spend more time with family. That's not a resolution. But what I do like to do is make goals. Goals are way X by Y or, um, you know, uh, spend two hours a week doing, you know, unplugged and with the family, you know, that, those are goals. Uh, and they, they can be similar to resolutions, but goals require two things, um, um, accountability and focus. So my goal, one of my goals this year is to make more things. Um, and, and I mean, physical things, not podcasts, not, uh, articles, not things. I want to make physical objects. So I've set a goal for myself to make 50 things this year at a pace of roughly one a week. Um, woodworking, uh, circuitry, you know, whatever, but a thing that you can point at, not, not a, uh, you, you could argue that I do a podcast every week there. I made a thing. <clears throat> but now I want to get back in touch with my maker roots. So already um, this year, we're two weeks into the year, about, about to start the third week, and I have made three things. So I'm on track. Um, I've actually made about five things, but um, some of them don't count. Like, you know, for example, if I make a jig that helps me in making the thing that I'm making, does that count? I mean, it is a thing. 
and maybe on my lazy weeks, I'll count that. But so far, I'm not counting that. Um, but anyway, so uh, focus and accountability. So you guys, all of you, uh, Seth and Miles, but also the rest of the audience, um, you you have the right and the almost nay the duty to ask me about these sort of things. Ask me each week. So what have you made this week? Because I can't keep myself on track without accountability. So there you go. You guys have any goals for this year? Seth, are you muted or am I just not hearing you? I see things moving, but I don't hear you. I think these mics off. He was there a second ago. He was. <laughs> and now he's not. Uh, it looks like he's actively. Ah, I don't know. well, uh, let so, me. Miles, do you have any goals? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, one thing is uh, I want to fix my audio equipment. No, kidding. Um, I, you know, I don't – I actually feel a little bit um, – I've always been a bit of a contrarian, and I'm not sort of in the business of following the crowd who go through the New Year's resolution process. I, I mean, I'm – sort of, I don't even want to watch the dropping of the bowl in Times Square or the fireworks on New Year's Day and everything, because to me, it's just a date which was made up that we all kind of agreed represented the 365-day cycle as we went around the sun or something. I don't know. Um, all I know is as you get older, you don't want to celebrate dates so, more, so much because you're getting older, right? It reminds you. So um, rather than making this whole New Year's thing a big thing for me, I try not to. I try to do the polar opposite. In fact, what I did was back in December, um, the one thing that is uh, calendar-based for me is, and this is going to sound super boring, but it's taxes, right? The end of the fiscal year is the 31st of December. So I try to make sure that, you know, I'm getting all the deductions I can get. So I invest in all the gear and the stuff you need before the year turns over. But what, what I also do is I do a lot of budgeting. So <laughs> talk about total boring businessy stuff. My New Year's resolution, if there was one, was to put a new budget forward for the following year for myself. And uh, my goal was to try to work even less than what I've been working uh, and to find a way to make that work in a budget. So, yeah, I think I'm on track to do it. So that's that's my idea of a resolution. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Hey, he's back. Okay, can you still hear me now? Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. I I I saw Skype had decided it didn't like my microphone selection, so it wanted to pick a different one for me. Um so sorry everybody. Have to retrain my computer. But yeah, but Mark, I wanted to say on yours, we got to change that to 50 things to 50 projects. That way, if you come up with something in relation to the project, it doesn't count. And you take away that ability to weasel your way out. Mm. At least that's something I would do. Maybe not you. But. Well, like, for example, <clears throat> one of the things that I intend to make is a crosscut sled for my table saw. That That is a tool that helps me build other things. But it is a... Uh, uh, sophisticated enough project that i consider it a project right today I, I i hammered together a quick router jig for the project i was working on but it took me 10 minutes and so i figured that is that was just a, a process part of the process so i'm not going to count that router jig 
that was two pieces of wood and three bolts. Right. Sounds fine. Yeah. But there may be weeks, you know, I may have to do, you know, five things in one week. Um, like, like if I do three cutting boards, is that three things or is that one thing? If, if, if you're, if I use your metrics and call it projects, that's one project to make cutting boards. So no, it could be three separate projects, make three different size cutting boards. Yeah. I, I built uh, I finished a table, um, uh, that I started. This is kind of what made me, um, think of um, this goal. I started in April of 2018 on this table. I finished it in January of 2019. It took me nine months to build this table. Now, actual shop time was maybe 40 hours. It was, you know, it was a lot of hand work on this thing. Um, so 40, maybe 50 hours of actual shop time. So that could have been um, five, five pretty heavy weekends, right? But it took me nine months to find those 40 to 50 hours of shop time just because I, you know, did other stuff. I mean, I'm a busy guy and I, and, and I could certainly find all sorts of excuses, but if I want to call myself a maker of things and I'm not making things, I'm, I'm not a maker of things. I'm just a guy has, that has tools. Obviously, Mark, you're not hip to the late 20 teens vocabulary. If you think you're something that makes you that. <laughs> I identify so if, as. <laughs> if you identify as a maker, who am I to say that you are your reality, your perception of reality is wrong. Obviously the problem is with me because I don't see the greatness of the maker within you merely by you claiming the title. So, you know, I mean, we got to catch up to the hip lingo of the kids these days. <laughs> yeah, and miles put something in the chat room about uh, makerspace in Atlanta. I am aware of a couple of makerspaces in Atlanta. I haven't, uh, uh, taken any action on it or anything yet. I don't, I'm not a member of anything, but, uh, for those of you that don't know, makerspace is a, is a shared, resource of tools and equipment so like you know a 3d printer or a laser cnc machine things that no one person could afford but you pay like a gym membership 20 bucks a month and they pool those resources to have those things available uh so you can go in and work on a real lathe uh even though it might be twenty thousand dollars for that real lathe and you couldn't afford it so it's a good idea um i just none of them are physically proximate to me you know, ah. I'd have to load all my stuff up and travel an hour to get to them. Yeah, I think my, ours is about 30 minutes away from me. But, the you know, the one thing about um, these hacker spaces or maker spaces or whatever, probably everyone's got one in their town somewhere. Um, a lot of times people are a little intimidated to go there. Uh, I noticed when I first uh, approached ours, it's a place called Heat Sink Labs in uh, Mesa, Arizona. Um, I walked in and I felt like there was a click. You know, all these people knew each other. They'd been doing stuff together for years. And here comes the newbie. And, you know, I'm not really, I, I don't want to go through that whole experience all the time. Um, but I was really pleasantly surprised. They open the doors, they welcome you in, they really embrace you, um, they help you. As far as money goes, it's kind of like if you can chip in some bucks, great. And if you can't, no big deal. We'll still accommodate you without any problem. Um, and I'm not a regular at ours, but I've been there a few times. And the things like being able to use a laser cutter is 
when you when you get a project that you want to do like a custom case for or something like that and you work out you know there's some open source software to design it on your computer at home and then you take your little usb thumb drive down to there with a bit of plastic or whatever you're cutting and you put it in press the button and watch it go it's like life-changing for me it was um so i opened up the door to a world of making stuff or at least feeling like well if i want to i know where to go yeah that's a it's a good thing pooling resources you know is a good thing um and it takes away the excuse of i can't do this because i don't have this tool now a, a lot of guys use that as opportunity to go and buy new tools um I, in fact i did today i went and bought some new router bits i have router bits probably that would have done the job but i i couldn't find them and by couldn't find them means I went, hmm, I don't see them laying out anywhere. Let's go buy some new stuff. So, uh, you know, we all do it. Right. So the wrong Harbor, with Harbor Freight for the win. Yeah. So, Miles, do you, uh, Miles, we talked about you. Seth, did, do you have any goals for the year? Any resolutions? Well, any New Year stuff? Well, I, um, I went ahead and I jumped into the side gig business uh full both feet kind of thing so i took your cold brew coffee idea and i've uh and i'm actually trying to make a business of it so i'm uh looking to get to be a supplier for like bars and stuff around where i work i've got i own a domain i don't have a website there yet and then uh i've got my uh uh i i you know my tax id number and things like that paid the money to legal zoom i probably could have just did it myself but you know, the first time it's better to have somebody walk you through that. So, and then, you know, I get to grind coffee and, you know, put it up and filter it out and bottle it and stuff, which I found out I super enjoy doing that. It's like a lot of fun. You know, I have my little timer going. And so I have some ideas on ways that I want to upscale it because I don't have the, anyway, I just, you know, I want to be me and so over engineer and complicate stuff. But anyway, that's, that's what I'm doing. I've, I've sold some and like I say, I'm working on relationships in some different bars. I figure since I eat out at lunch anyway, might as well sit at the bar, talk to the bartender and say, Hey, are you a cold brew coffee? Some person I was like, here, try some. And they go, Oh my gosh, this is so good. And, uh, you know, and then strike up a conversation. And so even have, even have one person that actually the bartender themselves buys from me. So cool. I've had a couple of people say, this isn't coffee. This doesn't taste like coffee. Is this cocoa? What is this? This isn't coffee. No, it is coffee. It's just coffee done right. Um, yeah. But uh, that's good. Uh, I will expect to see my uh, 1% royalty checks uh, coming in the mail soon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the problem is it's like I've done $20 so far this year, so I'm going to wait and I'm not going <laughs> to send you like 20 cents at a time. <laughs> So one of the reasons way back when, when I created the business the element OP Productions, one of the reasons I chose that name is it can be anything, right? So I can sell cutting boards as Element OP Productions. I can I can uh, make movies as Element OP Productions. I can do podcasts. So um, at some point, I will probably be selling some of the stuff that I make. Um, and uh, right now, my wife gets all the, the uh, prototypes. Um, one of the things I made this week was just a, a tablet slash cookbook stand made out of some scrap walnut. The table that I made was, was walnut. I had some pieces left over. So I, I spent 45 minutes and whipped together a prototype tablet stand. And the response to that has been 
very positive. People like that. And I'm thinking, gosh, I could bang those out for three bucks each and sell them for 30. Um, and so, you know, maybe, uh, my, my daughter is very entrepreneurial. We've mentioned it before. Uh, she has, she like makes soaps and, and things like that. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe probably not this year, but maybe next year. Um, cause you have to book them so, so far in advance. We'll get into some of the local festivals and set up a tent and, you know, sell our wares. I think that'll be fun. Good father daughter time. We lost you, Seth. Oh, not again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that poor guy. I saw his head moving like he was talking and nothing came out. Yeah. Um, so you have here, um, Miles, the the word that I have seen in on the internet a million times since the new year, Bandersnatch. And it's basically a choose-your-own-adventure TV show. I didn't realize it was until I found out, but yeah. <laughs> well, I, um, Black Mirror, I've been a big fan of Black Mirror for years, and I've probably promoted it way too much on this show. Um, there's a new season coming, so I get, you know, I'm on their like Twitter feed or something, and the, they send you out these notices that there's a new season coming in January. And then uh, up pops this notification a few weeks back saying, you know, this first episode is coming out on uh, New Year's Eve, I think it was. It was something like that. I thought it was the first episode of the new series. So it's on Netflix. So I go on Netflix and there it is, pops right up, this thing. And, and I remember in the tweet, it, it didn't call it a show. It called it an event. So I don't know what they meant by that, but I click on this Netflix thing thinking it's a show and I'm not, um, I'm just watching a show. So it's, it's really cool because it was a show that covered, it was like set in the eighties. It was some programmer developing, you know, old video games on ZX spectrums or some old computer way back then, Commodore 64 or something. And so it's right up my alley. It's checking all the boxes for me. It's got programmers. It's got retro computing. It's a thriller. It's it's great. So I'm kicking back watching this thing. And I get, you know, half an hour into it or something. Actually, I think I got about 10 minutes in, and I knew it had some sort of choose-your-own-adventure thing, but I'm thinking that what they're doing is they're paying homage to the old 80s, text adventures you know like zork and those games where you you know you go west and you all that stuff you know you type in on and the adventure goes forward so i thought that it was a show in that theme so you just watch it as the as the show goes through as if you were playing it so now i'm watching this on an android uh, like an nvidia shield an android tv device with my netflix subscription so i'm sitting there watching this thing and i've got the remote next to me so i watch it and it gets to plays this really interesting story and it gets to a certain point and down the bottom of the screen on the thing which i thought was part of the show there are two options and there's this like timer and it's counting down so it gets to a certain point and you can either you know the guy can slam his hand on the desk and or he can pour 
drink over his computer keyboard. They were the two options. So I'm watching it, and one of them's highlighted, and there's this timer. So I'm just watching it. I'm thinking, okay, well, they're going to pick it. So it did, and then it moved forward with the story. And then this comes up another 10 minutes later, and it goes forward. So I'm watching this thing thinking that's what the show was. And, I don't know, an hour or so in, thinking, wow, this is going on fairly long. Let me pause it, which I did. And then I look at the how much time the show has gone through. And it says it's gone through 14%. I'm like, what? <laughs> this show's going to be eight hours long. Anyway, okay, go get a drink or whatever, come back, hit the continue button, continue watching. And it does the same thing. You know, you get maybe 10 minutes worth of video and then it stops and there's a thing and it chooses one and it moves on to the next. Then in the process, it got to it again. And I don't know if it was an accident. I picked up the remote and I went to pause it and I must have pressed like the forward button or the back on the round little selector and the thing moved. I'm like, hang on a minute. I'm controlling <laughs> this. I can change this any time. And then I realized when I paused it, on Netflix, up the top of the screen, and it says Netflix interactive video. And I'm like, oh, no. Are you serious? I can change the storyline and choose. So for the next six hours, I'm there with the thing watching every single possible different ending this thing. It was, <laughs> it, it was incredible. And the next day, I'm like, I get up in the morning and I'm buzzing like, oh, my God, I've never done that before on a TV show. And I look online and there's some dude who'd posted a chart of the entire plot points and, and, and this like flow chart, like go here, go there. And it was huge. If you printed it out, it would cover your entire floor of this massive flow chart that they had done. And Can't hear you, I'm still, I'm still buzzing by this whole thing because I've never seen a TV show do that. But that's why I thought it was worth bringing up. It, it it's like we've we've entered a whole new world of TV <laughs> entertainment. So go figure. I, I thought I said you saw your head moving like you were talking, Seth. So can you hear me? Can you say something now? Don't hear you. No, he's not there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Skype hates Seth. Um, film at 11. Nothing new yeah. about that. Skype uh, hates lots of people. Um, uh, the last time I hung up on him and called him back, and that helped. Let's see if that helps again. Or maybe it didn't actually help, and I just sort of put those two things together as if they helped. Yeah, no, <laughs> nothing. All right. So... Um, I I have uh, haven't watched it. I, I don't. I, I read a news article that they were like being sued by the Choose Your Own Adventure people, who yeah. apparently have a patent on that sort of thing. Um, but uh, did did you enjoy it? Was it a good story? Oh, wonderful! Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. Um, Do I need to have watched the other Black Mirror stuff to watch this? No, not at all. Okay. It's completely standalone. Each story is its own self-contained movie unto itself. It's not. And there's not like any theme that one connects to another. They're just all weird dystopian stories. They're not. They're just 
independent things. So I had noticed, still can't hear you, Seth. Uh, I had noticed uh, uh, watching a few YouTube originals uh, in the last couple of months that a little thing will pop up on the screen. Do you want to watch that scene again? Um, And I wonder if that was like testing, uh, beta testing for this sort of thing, because it would be scenes that weren't really remarkable. You know, there's not really any reason I would want to watch it again. And the little thing would come up and say, do you want to watch that scene again? No, I've never done that. Uh, Every now and then be like a dance number and you could, Hey, I'll I'll watch that again. But uh, Netflix is definitely trying to move beyond standard television. Yeah, um, it's one of those things I think with – Black Mirror is such a highly produced, really, really well-written, very well-directed movie-like experience that if you were going to introduce interactivity into something, these guys would do a killer job at it because it just it, it's just got the content level to make it more than um, – an experiment it's a real thing so i i'm thinking that maybe they've opened the door and the next thing you're going to have sony and all the big studios getting in on the action kind of like what they do i guess with like 3d and uh, that sort of stuff yeah so um i wanted to get to sort of the the prediction uh sort of stuff too and, and that was a good segue um you know you went to ces which the formerly the consumer consumer electronics show now just CES and what they they're all about trying to predict what's going to be what people are going to want or, or tell you uh, what they're going to be able to bring to market. Um, but you know, uh, I was thinking about TV. It was uh, uh, HD TV, of course, was the the game changer uh, years ago, and then they tried 3D TV and couldn't make that stick uh, because you know it just wasn't very good. And then there was a brief dalliance with HDR TV, um, which, you know, as far as I know, I haven't seen ads for HDR TVs like I used to. Um, And now it just seems to be bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, It's like they've given up on TVs in terms of new technology and they're going, you know, 4K and I've seen some 8K stuff, but there's no content for it yet. Uh, No bandwidth to deliver 8K reliably yet. But, uh, you know, you got to have... It's, it's the gas station problem. Cars will never proliferate, proliferate until you have gas stations, and there's no reason to build a gas station until a lot of people have cars. So it's, uh, it's, it's that, that kind of problem. And, and every, every year people try to, to hit that curve. You know, it took a long time for HD TV uh, to make its uh, uh, take a foothold, and then it sort of went through a little, was, was it going to be 720p or is it going to be 1080i or is it 1080p? Um, but uh, when you were at CES, what what was your take on what they're thinking the next new thing is going to be in entertainment? Um, t- well, TVs were uh, TVs has always been an important part of CES, but I think now it's becoming less and less, and that may be just indicative of the fact that millennials don't watch as much TV as what our you know older generations who were raised on TV do. Um, I know my daughter, will, she doesn't even want a TV. She'll watch whatever her media is on a laptop. Um, but, you know, that's just the way things move. What TV uh, advances they were showing this year was mainly flexible screens. Um, flexible screens was a big thing. Um, 
whether it's small, you know, tablet size screens that you can bend and the screen, you know, moves with that, or whether it's uh, like LG had this massive wall they called the Wave that was just this bending connection of screens connected to screens that was huge. It was like uh, 75 yards wide and about, uh, I don't know, maybe 20 yards tall and bending all over the ceiling and they projected whatever they wanted on it. So it was really impressive. Um, and then they have a, a TV that rises out of a small box on the ground and kind of, I guess it rolls up into a, you know, into a tube inside the thing and then just expands out into a flat screen and then drops back down when you're done. That was kind of nice. but um, That'd be good for conference a, rooms you know, maybe, but I can't yeah. see where else. I think I, they're trying 8K, but, you know, until 5G rolls out, it won't really allow for the bandwidth um, to support 8K. And these days people don't buy physical media with content. They stream it. So it's always going to be bandwidth restricted. So that's probably that. Um, most of the stuff that I saw at CES, um, the new stuff, the stuff that was like really interesting um, was nothing to do with TVs though. So what was it? Um, it was, there was a lot. Um, Before you, know, you go, it, Seth, can we hear you? I don't hear you. No, we can't hear him. Dang it. All right. Continue <laughs> well, on. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I walked away from CES feeling really almost depressed, which is a very weird feeling to get from a high tech, you know, this is all the new stuff. You think everyone gets really excited and really, you know, wow, look at this, you know, this is great, this new thing, whatever. There was a bit of that. Um, but for the most part, what it really, the theme to me um, it, they, they say it wasn't as busy as CES as past years. I would say that's correct. There was a, a distinct lack of Chinese manufacturers there. Um, there were a lot of smaller ones that had booked space way, way ahead, but, um, there seems to be a political slash tariff thing that's restricting a lot of the Chinese from wanting to, um, do business at CES this year. Uh, a lot of people, I actually spoke with, with a, a friend of mine's, uh, had a friend working there who was part of the CES um, staff. And we sat down with her and we're getting some sort of inside information. And it's one of those things, you, you, you didn't hear this from me, but uh, I would say there was about a 25% less number of vendors and participants at this year's CES versus past which is a significant drop. Um, the one thing, though, that was consistent uh, with all of it. Oh. Sorry. Uh, I, th I think it was on my end, Seth. I, I was now say something. He can you hear me? I can hear you. Hey, okay. Seth's back. All right. Sorry about that, Miles. That's all right. Um, the one thing that was consistent about CES was robotics, automation, and AI. That was really heavy this year and the most noteworthy part of that was it seemed everywhere you went every booth had a sign that said you know um talk to it with alexa or the google equivalent but mainly alexa and i got the distinct feeling amazon had taken over ces like if you had something 
I mean, there's ridiculous stuff there, right? Like talking toilets and, you know, a machine that automatically bakes bread. Um, stuff like that. I mean, it's really – it's kitschy and it's stupid and probably no one would ever spend any money. But every single one of them, you could talk to it with Alexa. Everything. And Amazon this year – and I'd never seen this before. They had a big stand in uh, the Sands Hotel, I think it was. And we went over there and we spent a bit of time listening to Amazon. And I got – I walked away from there like, these guys want to own the freaking world. <laughs> They want everything. They want to own their data centers. They want to own retail. They want to own food. They want to own everything. And now they're using Alexa to take over Google because they want, they feel that by controlling voice activation as a user interface, that it forces everything into their data centers and everything into their technology. And uh, although Google are competing for that space with them, Amazon seems to have a jump start on this and every single vendor out there who had a product wanted to use Amazon and their API to allow you to talk to it. You walk away feeling like with the autonomous stuff and the, and the Amazon controlled stuff and the, you know, it was like at this point we humans are talking to these machines and the machines feel intelligent enough that they're going to do things for us they're going to assist us but we only at this pace we're only a year or two away from the machines choosing in advance what we want and it's like we're losing our identity as humans in this machine infested controlled world and i would say that's a great you know ridley scott movie <laughs> No, I, I saw that movie playing out at CES, and it, at this rate of expansion, five years from now, maybe 10 at the latest, but at least five, uh, the value of a human being compared to a swarm of technologies doing things will be greatly lower than the machines. And For a while. For a while, yeah, but it's a scary transition that we have never seen in terms of evolution of humanity that um, I think we're hitting the limit and the machines are not. So welcome to the Matrix. Um, have a nice day. All right, Seth, you have a lot of catching up to do. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I, um, I mean, I don't know. I I was just listening to him going, you know, wow, that's, uh, I, you know, we had this issue where this person, yeah, I work in a managed, I, uh, managed it. We support mostly dental offices and I got a request that I thought it was the dentist office wanted me to create a guest network so the end users could check in to Facebook or Yelp, but it turns out they wanted, um, Facebook, they wanted to be able to have the users check into Facebook to give them access to their guest network. And Facebook has this protocol in place uh, with Aruba and other controllers where when you log into Facebook, it grants you access 
to the guest network and you know and some of you know there's limited devices out there that support it but it seems to be growing and it's just like you know i was just like i would refuse to get on the guest network of a place that did that it's just it's one more piece you know i know privacy is an illusion and you know we're gonna go from the tinfoil visor to the tinfoil body wrap probably um the year of 2019 is going to be the growth of tinfoil in my house but it just i don't know i I like the illusion of privacy, and I guess that's all I have left. So, <laughs> I I don't know. I guess Amazon can rule the world as long as they sell Free State Coffee LLC cold brew. I, I'd be happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we've had this discussion a number of times, and I am bullish on the robot overlords, frankly. Uh, I'm, I want Rosie the Robot in my kitchen. I was promised that by the Jetsons, and it hasn't been there yet. Um and I've made this analogy before. It's it. We thought it was going to be one really smart machine, and we're finding out it's a network of dumb machines that are going to get us there. Um, and Alexa, sorry, um, it, I just triggered somebody's thing. The the um, the A device um, is dumb. Um, even when it pretends to be smart, it's dumb. Um, today, I have two great examples of it. One. Uh, my daughter was watching something on Discovery, or not Discovery, no, <laughs> wish my daughter would watch Discovery, on the Disney Channel. Uh, it's um, one of those... Yeah, those are so similar. Yeah, one of those cheesy bad shows. Uh, actually, I think it was Netflix. It wasn't even that, but uh, it was one of Netflix's cheesy bad shows with um, Tiffany Amber Thiessen in it. Remember her from Saved by the Bell, wasn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, um, she's all grown up now and a mom, and the main character on the show is named Alexa. So I come downstairs and I see the the echo uh, in the living room going red, meaning it's been muted. And she was like, every time somebody said her name, it woke up. Um, and so we had to uh, we had to walk over and physically mute the device so that she could watch her show. And then later on, when she was done watching that, I guess she unmuted it. I was downstairs doing my thing. I came up and the the house was empty. The girls had all gone somewhere. Um, and I came up and the TV was still on. And uh, Alexa was having a conversation with Milo Murphy. Um, I'm not sure how that happened, but uh, Milo Murphy's is a, a cartoon uh, voiced by War- Weird Al. Actually, it's a great show. If you liked Phineas and Ferb, you'll like Milo Murphy's Law. Check it out. But um, uh, I walked up, and Alexa was saying, "I think you want me to play some song. Is that correct?" And then Milo would say something that she interpreted as a different thing. Did you want me to play this song? And then Maya would say something and she would do. And I just stood there and watched for several minutes while these two non-corporeal fictional beings had a conversation with each other that was just dumb, bordering on, on dumber every step of the way. So I'm not really afraid of the robot over, overlords just yet. What, what Did you want me to most? launch the nuclear missile? <laughs> it sounded like you said yes, launching the nuclear <laughs> missile. Yeah. What, what scared me the most wasn't the what the robots can do and what the AI can do. I mean, because we know, and look, I'm a software developer. I know potentially what can be done. And I also realized that, you know, it's the advancement of this is going so fast because APIs exist uh, and are, are freely available for developers to build into their products. Um, so I can see that, you know, everyone's standing on the shoulders of somebody else, which is why we're advancing so quickly. The problem is, in all of this haste to advance 
technology as fast as we are doing it right now, we're not making any accommodation for human disruption at all. Now, I know that's a problem that's been going back hundreds of years. We've had it, you know, horse furriers and cars or the typing pool and word processors or whatever it might be. I know that that's happened, but it's never happened at an exponential level that is so vast and so quick that there will, the ability for humans to be re-engineered back into a different role takes time. And the problem is that the pace that the AI is advancing is far faster than any human could be retrained to do something else. And then when they get retrained to do something else, there's no guarantee that that something else won't become automated and, and, and done. So the, the number of options is lessened all the time. The ability to train fast for those options is become very, very difficult. And if we're ever... If you ever want to look down the barrel at what might be coming in a very, very short period of time, CES is a really good window. I went there hoping I'd discover some new opportunity and, you know, I could go down that path and check it out. What I saw was that all of the things I'm doing right now are either redundant or about to be overwritten or taken over by Amazon or taken over by a big corporation and that trying to find something else, I'm drawing blanks. Because unless you're part of building robots, which is a very short time frame career, um, it's the robots have already taken over the potential of that job. Like, like we're sitting, I'm sitting in a shuttle bus as we go from conference room, conference hall to hotel and back and forth. And there's this guy, a buddy of mine starts uh, talking to him, just brought, you know, conversation in there. And he's from Australia, which is interesting. Now I didn't say anything, so I didn't tell him I was from Australia. I was just listening to him. And he's, uh, Australia is always about two years behind the U S when it comes to adoption of, of cultural things, social things, economic things, and sometimes technological things. And this guy worked for what we used to call, I don't know if they called them the same here, hi-fi dealers. Do you remember? They're like mm -hmm. audiovisual stuff, right? Mm -hmm. They sell record players and TVs and all that stuff. Well, they used to. This guy's business was selling that. And he said, we've got like 31 staff working for us and we're one of the largest in, in the eastern states and blah, blah, blah. And I'm listening to this. And he's telling about how they sell TVs and they sell this and he's looking for the latest thing to sell and blah, blah, blah. And then he said something very profound and he said, interesting thing is that Amazon's just started getting a foothold in Australia and, um, you know, they, they don't see Amazon as a threat. I'm going, <laughs> you haven't walked into a Best Buy, have you? <laughs> you haven't seen, you know, uh, Toys R Us out there on the on the uh, the uh, the death uh, pile and uh, Radio Shack. Remember them? Um, and all of a sudden, it's like all these memories of redundancy and and whatever starts coming up. And after you've seen all these AI and robots and everything. I was going to say, and I'm glad I didn't, but I was ready to say to the guy, so uh, you got your resume ready? For the <laughs> <laughs> because, dude, I give you 12 months and Amazon's going to own your country. Um, they've got their own airlines. They've got their own, you know, vehicles. They've got, they own everything and you ain't seen nothing. And the level of pace that they will take it over will be astounding. I mean, look what they've done in a, maybe a five-year period here, and we didn't even realize it. But Amazon is 51% of all retail now. 
Mm. So, I mean, this is this is what's happening. And if you're uh, at the corner shoe store, thanks, but that's the end of your business, you know. And and it's sad. And I I what does the corner shoe store proprietor do now? What what, what are they going to do with their world? How are they going to find value and and do their thing? They've got to reinvent themselves. To what? <laughs> what do you do when you're a shoe salesman, right? Um, I don't know. This is the problem. The disruption doesn't have a then what uh, chapter yet. And that scares me. And we, we are lucky. In technology, we feel a bit more in control of what's going to be for our future so we can change ourselves and adapt. And we've had the last maybe 20, 30 years where we've been able to do that because the pace of advancing technology has been not linear but manageable. We've been able to say, oh, you know what? Uh, I think I'm going to get out of dial-up modems and I'm going to get into broadband or I think I'm going to, you know. But but what now? Um, well, movie theaters are answering that question. That's uh, <clears throat> there's There are lots of industries – dealing with that but the the place that i see that is the movie theaters um they they're turning it into a pr- premium experience sure you can watch netflix on your tablet and you can watch whatever but um and that's their biggest competition uh but you can't sit down in a big comfy reclining chair with a reserved seat and have overpriced drinks brought to you by a guy in a fake bow tie um and they're returning too. early on in the history of cinema, movies were a luxury experience and then it became a bargain basement sort of thing. And now it's trending back the other way. I think I predict maybe not in this year, but in the next five years, air f- travel will go the same way. They're going to realize that, uh, you know, a lot of business travel is just so you can have a face-to-face meeting and the technology is getting so good that you don't need those face-to-faces anymore. Um, and I think they're going to see airfare air travel moving back to that luxury model because they can't keep charging people exorbitant prices to stuff them in a tuna can. Uh, So I think that's the answer to your question. How do you pivot? The way you pivot is that you offer something um, experience-driven instead of commodity-driven. And I don't know that that's easy to do, but I think that is the path for most of the displaced commodity uh, brokers. Uh, Amazon will own commodities, and and you will own the bespoke and and the custom. You know, part of it is used to there was this gap between the cutting edge and like mainstream society, and there was this wide area in the middle. And what has happened is the cutting edge is growing faster and there's this, the gap in the middle is shrinking. And it's like, you know, I think my, of my dad and granted, I mean, I was born late in life and he's a lot older, but he did basically the exact same thing, you know, his, in, you know, his entire career driven life, you know, not talking the odd jobs beforehand, but dude, I can't do the exact, I mean, the stuff I learned to get me into the business, I, I couldn't find a job now. You know, because, and that wasn't that long ago and granted some of the skills transfer, but yeah, it's, we, we are running out 
of, I mean, you can't get, because when you get trained, guess what? What you got trained for was last year's model and they wanted to come out and do it a new way just so they could justify charging you for a new product. And now you're like, I don't know what to do anymore because I learned, I learned, you know, they cut the training so short that they just taught you what to do, not why to do it. And so because the what to do changed, all of a sudden your training is worthless and you don't have time to learn why to do it. Because by the end, you're so far behind, it doesn't even work anymore. So, yeah, there's got to be some way, a middle ground in there. And that's, you know, it's it's hard to find. And lots of people feel, you know, left behind by the digital revolution. I, you know, an interesting um, Petri dish, if, that, if that's not the best term for this, but it's the best I can come up with, um, is, say, West Virginia. Now this isn't this is a broad statement over a state that's vast, but if you think of a state that's based on mining as its uh, core industry, well, that mining uh, is being done by robots now. Now I don't know about the West Virginian mining scenario, but I do know about mines in Australia. Uh, we've got mines in in far north Queens, Queensland, for example, that used to have about 160 miners as staff working the mines 24-7, and they were replaced with six guys and a bunch of robots because autonomous trucks can do mining and autonomous drilling can extract the ore, and all of a sudden the cost of mining drops, which means that in a commodity that goes up and down in price, they can keep that mine running all the time because they're not, and, and it's all run by joystick guys in Sydney who is, you know, it's kind of like drone pilots. You know, they're sitting back in the office, you know, at the water cooler with a cup of coffee and they're just managing the machines of this mine out there in Queensland. Well, that that's the answer to health and safety problems, but it's also the problem of displacing 160 miners. Well, in West Virginia's case, they attempted to find new options for those staff. They created... Uh, their own Silicon Valley, that sort of thing, right? It's good and it helps, but it's not working because when you're a high-class, top brain level, you know, brainy computer scientist and you want to go where the opportunities are, you get on a plane and you go to San Jose. You don't go to West Virginia. And the problem is to displace that number of people and to not have a place that is a go-to location that they can go and be retrained leaves a lot of people without employment and burdens everybody, not in a bad way. We want to keep people, you know, I want humanity to thrive, but um, we don't have a displacement plan that is in any way consistent with the level of advancement in technology that I've been seeing of late and I suspect will increase even further. Next year, it'll be even more. I mean, the stuff was crazy this year. Next year, it'll be even crazier. Yeah, there's, this is the un, unavoidable, inexorable march of technology. Uh, within 10 years, there will be no long-haul truck drivers. Uh, autonomous machines will do that. That job is going to go away. And overall, society will be the better for it. But those people will have to find something else to do. Um, and this is, you know, as you mentioned, it's happened hundreds of times, thousands of times throughout history. And uh, it's, it's bad for those people. It's good for society. 
Um, and that's just the way it's going to continue to be. I hope that someday I don't get replaced by a robot, but if it does, you know, I, I, I'll just have to say, well, that's society, you know, and then I'll go figure out what else I can do. Um, by then I'll, you know, I, I don't know what I'll do, but, uh, there's going to be a lot of people in that. And, you know, as, as the fiscally conservative and, and socially conservative as I am, I recognize the need for some sort of safety net for those sort of people. But at the same time, you can't, uh, you can't catch everybody in the safety net and you can't stop uh, progress for the sake of keeping the lamplighters and the wheelwrights employed. You just can't do it. But you've, I think there's nothing wrong with slowing it down a little bit so you have time to absorb the change. The problem is the change is coming so fast and so frequently in so many different areas that more and more and more of a society is being displaced at a time. And your resources are going to training and keeping up so you don't have the ability to get ahead in life. So, you know, and I mean, I know that's a gross over over generalization, but society has a whole, we waste so much of our resources, one on stuff we don't need. So hopefully that will, you know, you don't need to upgrade your phone every month. So you can do, there's some things you can do to cut your expenses, but at some point, you know, you're just on the rat race, on the rat race, on the rat race, you're getting a little further behind all the time, then, you know, you're just going to give up and just get way behind and whether you sink in 10 years or you sink in 10 minutes, you still sunk. So, Well, if you look, if you look at mainland China right now, the, this story is really becoming an interesting uh, tale that I think we can probably all draw from. I mean, this is a country with 1.4, or 1.5 billion people. A vast majority of those people came from the farms 10, 20 years ago into the cities because that's where the money was. The, you know, the manufacturing sector was, was buoyant in the city areas and they built an uh, infrastructure to accommodate that. They did an incredibly good job at it. Um, the problem is that due to economics and due to automation, um, not we're not demanding as much of Chinese manufacture today as we were, say, two, three years ago. And with that slight variation of consumption level, the impact has been that China has gone into kind of a recession-level economy. And that means it's not buying raw materials from other countries, so they're then inheriting. It's like a, a virus or like a flu that everyone's catching the cold because they're not – the demand isn't – forcing Chinese to do the work, which is not forcing raw material to be extracted from Africa or South America or Australia or wherever. And everybody gets affected by that. And then the problem, the, here's the problem. The reason why China is the world's manufacturing uh, center is because they got 1.5 billion people. It's human labor. Their, their drone army of human labor is creating, you know, the, the your phone and your tablet and your car and whatever else. It's done because of humans. So if we want to reclaim manufacturing back in the United States, the most logical way to do it is robots. So we push robots hard and hard and hard and hard, and there's no longer demand out of China. Okay, now we're self-sufficient. We can build our own stuff. We just get the raw material. Problem is... The economy of China now goes down the toilet and everybody gets dragged down and we get dragged down with it. So 
it's there are examples of the, the balance, the interconnected balance of all of this is so critical and of rapid advancements in this technology we're seeing like at things like CES demonstrate to me we need a plan. <laughs> we need a plan now because this is going to just topple in this mess um, because I don't think that – I think more robots is not – going to solve the problem less robots maybe but right now more robots is what everyone's got on their mind and i'm scared to death (laughs) don't put all those poor robot makers out of a job miles then they'll (laughs) they'll be you know sunk oh yeah they can go back into the farms and you know agriculture whatever right All right, I think this was a good discussion of the future. Maybe maybe went a little farther than just the year 2019. Um, in fact, I think I opened the show saying 2018. I think I did. Instead <laughs> of 2019. Oh! But anyway. Because um, all the documents didn't get updated, and I am Ron Burgundy, and I read whatever's on the thing. Uh, anyway. Um, so, you know, I... I think that's a good, natural, organic way to end that discussion. And so I'll just simply say, Seth, what happened this week in history? All right, Mark. Well, I wanted to let you know of a future that did not happen. But on January the 12th, 1997, the fictional HAL 9000 computer becomes operational. So the fictional HAL 9000 computer becomes operational according to Arthur C. Clarke's 2001 A Space Odyssey. In the 1968 movie adaption, adapt, adaptation, the computer statement, I am a HAL 9000 computer, production number three. I became operational at the HAL plant in Urbana, Urbana Illinois, on January 12th, 1997. So, uh, put his birth date. Anyway, so there you go. That happened this week in cinema, cinema, cinematic history. And now, back to you. Powered yeah. by Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that was uh, such a terrible movie. Um <laughs> Well, let me ask you, why you're judging it based on the advancements that's happened since No, I'm not at all. I'm judging it based on the enjoyability of watching that movie, which is a very low level. Right, because look at what we look at all of the action and stuff and music and background and everything that gets crammed into movies that wasn't around back then. So, a lot of the reasons that we think the old stuff sucks is because nobody had ever done it before and they were figuring it out. You look back at the classics and you go, oh my gosh, that's garbage by today's standards. But it was top of the game then. So you have to judge it in the era it was. You can't look back with 2019 filters and go, wow, that's a crappy movie. Because eventually Ghostbusters and Princess Bride will suffer the same fate. I'm not judging it by 2019 standards. I'm judging it by 1978 standards, which was when I first saw it. I don't like Stanley Kubrick. Uh, well, actually, I don't know about personally. I don't like his movies. I've never seen a Kubrick film I liked. So um, it doesn't have anything to do with the technology. It's just a crappy movie. Uh, a lot of people disagree with me, and that's okay. They're allowed to be wrong. That's fine. I'll allow it. Um, terrible movie. But, but in, in Arthur C. Clarke's defense, imagine if you changed the term, open the pod bay door, Alexa. I mean, that's too close to home right now <laughs> <laughs> well it's their fault for not having a big freaking handle on the outside that, 
I can't do that, Dave. So I don't know what that means. No, there definitely should have been a big handle on the outside. And, and if if science fiction writers have taught us anything, it's a big red stop button and a big handle to get uh, open doors. Um, I hope we never uh, forget those lessons. <laughs> All right. Now, Seth, what do you have uh, to, uh, I don't know, be interesting this week? I, I lost my thing because you're employed and it just doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Well, I came across this. It's kind of a clickbait article, but I thought it was really cool. So these are 30 landmark historical events you had no idea were actually photographed. Now, a lot of them I did, but it's cool. There's just different things and you can look and see, oh, wow, there was a picture of that. So, you know, and among them is what what they believe to be the first or it's the earliest surviving photograph that we have, if not the first photograph taken. And, you know. So you just click through them and nope, slideshow. Not going to do it. Yep. So, well, like I said, it's kind of a clickbait article. But anyway, if you're interested, it's there for the clicking. And yeah, I know it's a slideshow, but yeah. that that it is what it is. So I just refuse to uh, reward that scummy behavior. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you can tell me all about it, and that'll be great. Uh, there used to be a, a, a plug-in that I had in Firefox that would take all those and put them all in one page, but I don't remember what it was. And, and if somebody out there remembers, remind me. Well, part of it is they're programmed a different way now, and so I think they've kind of done some back-end stuff to change it. So it's actually it's different pages now. It's not actually a slideshow. When you click, it goes to another page, and it's not like a yeah. programming thing. So, All right, so this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can feed back to us. Let us know what you think about the future, about the past, about Stanley Kubrick. Uh, or about clickbait articles, whatever. You go to elementop.com and click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. Answer the world's hot, hardest captcha. Fill out a form, and uh, and that will send an email that uh, gets priority in my inbox. Or you can send an email yourself. If you're, if you're a rebel and want to skip the, the middleman, you can send an email to geekrant at elementop.com. That'll go to all three of us. Or you can call us up at 559-IMOP and leave us a voicemail. Pretty sure that still works. Don't know. I haven't had one in a long time. Maybe it's broken and people have been trying. But uh, anyway, uh, we like to hear what you have to say. Uh, we are back for one more year, we think, at least for a while. We'll see what happens. Um, but uh, glad to enjoy uh, uh, some time off, but I did miss doing this show. And I uh, missed uh, um, I miss these guys. I miss this process. You know what I also missed? I missed the thousands of dollars that I don't get anytime I do a podcast. <laughs> oh, wait, that's not true. Um, if, if I could make thousands of dollars per podcast, I guarantee you I do them every week. Um, all right. So if you want to throw money at me, patreon.com. I've had some recent uh, feedback about how people are leaving Patreon because they don't agree with their policies of censorship or whatever. Uh, fine. I, I, I do not want you to compromise your principles to send me five bucks. Uh, absolutely not a fair trade. Um, uh, go get. I, the, actually, I did have one email that said I also can't do PayPal because they're scummy. I agree with you. PayPal's scummy. But unfortunately, nobody competes with them yet. So what I told him to do was go give that money he would have given to us to a charity and say it was on behalf of Key Grant. So do that. That's fine. But uh, 
uh, but <laughs> at the same time, if you don't want us to, to go away because the robots have taken over our jobs, one way you can help is patreon.com slash element OP element OP.com slash Patreon works either way. That's true. The robots can't podcast yet. Yet. Although there was a, a newscaster. I, I didn't see the video, but I saw people talking about the video of the, of, uh, Japan's or China's first fully AI newscaster. And of course I wouldn't have understood the language because I don't speak either of those languages, but, um, people said it sounded, you know, pretty natural. So the time will come not too far down the road where you have a digital mark that is much better looking than I am and says, um, a lot less often. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. That's it for this episode of the Geek Rant. And remember, 